You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. We've been going through the book, How to Pray by Pete Gregg, and hopefully you've read the book. And if you are reading the book, you know, much of what I'm sharing here is I'm expounding a little bit, adding a little bit to what's outlined within that book. And so, you know, give credit where credit's due. It's like um, essentially plagiarizing him, but I'm giving him credit. So (laughs) then it's okay. Um, Yeah, praise the Lord. I don't know what that is. Um, but in his book, he said this. I love this part. We've been, we've been, so pray is an acronym in the book uh, to, to um, pause, to find a place to pause, um, to rejoice in the Lord. And then the A is ask. And the la, you know, this is the third week of being on ask. And so we talked about what does it look like to intercede for others? What does it look like to petition the Lord on our own behalf? I need you to, to come through for me. And then today we're going to talk about perseverance. But in the book, he says this, prayer means many things to many people. But at its simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help, right? You you can stop there and and recognize that every single person, I don't care what they confess. They can confess to be agnostic. They can confess to be atheist. They can confess to be a Satanist. They can confess all kinds of things. When they hit a really, really difficult spot, more often than not, help is what comes out of their mouth. And they're looking for help from someone bigger than themselves, a transcendent one. They may not recognize that it's God. I think about when, even when, um, when Paul was at Areopagus or Mars Hill and, and he was looking at all the gods that they were worshiping, he's walking around, he's reading the inscriptions of all of these gods at Areopagus and, he, and, he's, and, they're, and they're talking to him about it and, he's, and, he, and he comes across this particular god and the inscription is to the unknown god. Like they're worshiping all these gods and he comes around and he finds this one. He's like to the unknown God. He says, hey, wait a minute. Let me tell you about this God that you don't know, but that I know. So people always are looking. There's something and they're crying out for a transcendent one. And said, this is what prayer is simple. It's like, God, I need your help. Or whoever you are, the movies do this really well. Whoever you are, if you're out there, help. And then sometimes we try to make a deal. If you help, I will do, right? Those don't usually work, but whatever. The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from daily bread to thy kingdom come. For ourselves, which is petition, and for others, which is intercession. So we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, what this book does. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 2, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. This is known as the Lord's Prayer or Our Father. Um, we've been encouraging everybody to memorize it. But let's, let's recite this prayer that Jesus taught them, this simple prayer. Let's recite it together. It'll be on the screen. It's Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Whew. It's a little quiet today. Am I doing okay? Okay. Praise the Lord. We'll keep working on it. We're going to say it every week until we're done. So we only got a couple more weeks. But today we're going to circle back. We've, we've talked about our Father in heaven, the intimacy, that kind of thing, and, and reverencing the fact that he's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, we've talked about your kingdom come. We've talked about give us this day our daily bread. Um, we want to circle back to uh, your will be done in this prayer and talk about what it looks like to persevere in prayer and, and trust in the will of the Father in our lives. Um, this prayer, your will be done, is an easy prayer to pray when everything is going well. 
Like when I am blessed and, you know, people, how are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. Maybe you've never run into those people, but there's very, everything's overly spiritualized. Everything's super good. And like, it's kind of cheesy. You know what I mean? When we're blessed and highly favored, when we're in good health, when our family's in good health, when all of our prayers are being answered, when, when our children are serving the Lord, everything's going well. Uh, your will be done is such an easy thing to pray because we tend to think when everything's going well, that the things that are going well are a byproduct product of God's favor on our life. They're a byproduct of his will showing up. And so it's easy to say, oh, your will be done because I have everything that I need, right? When I don't have everything that I need, this prayer becomes really difficult. When nothing seems to be going right, anybody ever been there before? When I'm overwhelmed by bad news, can't seem to catch my breath, can't seem to catch up on anything, it's really hard to pray this prayer, your will be done, when all of my life around me seems to be falling apart or I'm at least struggling or fighting to keep my head above water. Really hard in those moments to pray, well, your will be done. It almost feels a little trite to pray that prayer when nothing seems to be going right. But this is what this Scripture is calling us to, in particular, when nothing is going right, to pray this idea of your will be done. And we've probably all been there before where it seems as if none of our, our, our prayers are being answered. And I think that the big question when we get to that point is always, why? Right? Like, why might be the most angsty, shortest prayer ever, Right? Why? Why has this happened to me? Why does this always happen to me? Why couldn't it happen to them? Why aren't you doing that for them? Why aren't you treating them this way? You know, we tend to like judge it based on what's happening for those people. The Psalms are full of this. Like, why do they prosper? Why do these wicked people prosper? And I don't, right? I've been serving you, God. Why aren't you coming through for me? Why do bad things happen to good people? Alyssa and Jordan and I were talking about this this morning, just about life and things that happen to people and how we have to be careful, how we engage people who are experiencing difficulty because the way that we approach people who are in difficult times can, can crush them or can encourage them. If, if somebody comes to me and they're in a, a really difficult time and my response is, well, God has a plan, that's a true statement. God has a plan. But if I approach it that way, I could crush these people and not hold their hearts well because I don't understand that they're dealing with the most angst-filled prayer probably of their life. Why? Why did I lose everything? Why did my child die prematurely? Why did I lose my job? Why was my family member diagnosed with an incurable, you know what I'm saying? Like it just goes on and on. And if you've ever been there, and I'm sure most of us have been there, when those waves start hitting, it feels like they just are relentless, like they won't stop. So what do we do with those why moments? What do we do with those angsty prayers when the scripture calls us to pray, well, your will be done? How do we approach that? Sometimes prayer is beautiful and inspiring. Hopefully a lot of you felt that if you went to the prayer room. Hopefully, hopefully you felt like in that prayer room, this, they do a great job of putting together prompts of how to pray for the city. And hopefully you felt like beautifully inspired in that prayer room. But if we're being honest, sometimes prayer is also deeply disappointing. Sometimes we come before God with our prayers and we throw them out there and it seems as if we're throwing it against a brick wall as if no one is hearing, as if there is no way in which God is going to actually come through on our behalf. Sometimes that's the way it feels. And here's the good news. Everybody feels that at times. You're not alone in feeling at times as if God doesn't even hear what you're asking. Not only does everybody feel that sometimes, Jesus himself felt that. And we're going to talk about that. Because the reality is, not every prayer is answered immediately. Amen? Think about Lazarus. 
John chapter 11, Martha and Mary recognize Lazarus is really sick. And so what do they do? They send for Jesus. That's like a prayer, but like Jesus was walking the earth, so they could just send for him. <laughs> like we pray now because Jesus isn't walking the earth. We pray, but they're essentially sending a prayer like, go get Jesus, tell him to come. Lazarus, whom he loves, is sick and near death. And Jesus waits two days. You would think if Jesus loved Lazarus, he would have dropped everything and immediately went to heal Lazarus. But he did not. He waits two days. And then as he finally finds a way to get there, and you imagine if you're Mary and Martha, two days is like an eternity. Where's he at? Why has he not come yet? Has he forgotten about us? Right? All those why questions. Why would this happen to Lazarus? We have supported this Jesus of Nazareth, this Messiah. Why would this happen to us? And then Lazarus dies. Not only is Jesus late coming, according to them, you and I would feel like, don't be judging Martha and Mary. You would be in the same spot. Not only is Jesus late showing up, but it gets worse quick and Lazarus dies. Seriously? Not only does he die, but he's put in a tomb for four days. So we're not just talking about two days that have passed. We're talking about multiple days that have passed. How many? Six days maybe? Maybe more? I don't know. But they said Jesus waits two days before he even starts the journey. And then Lazarus is in the tomb for four days before Jesus shows up. And Martha and Mary are at the end of their rope. They're weeping. How dare you? If you would have. They said if you would have been here earlier, he would not have died. Do you feel and sense the angst in their hearts? Anybody ever been there before? We have the hindsight of knowing the end of the story. Jesus, you know, prays a prayer that God might be glorified. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave after four days. That's powerful. But it surely wasn't immediate. Not every prayer is answered perfectly. There's a blind man that Jesus encountered. And the blind man asked that he could be pray they could be healed and so Jesus does his thing uh, with spit and mud I don't know <laughs> I guess the blind man doesn't really care he can't even see what's happening bad joke <laughs> and Jesus puts the spittle and mud on his eyes which seems it just seems weird right like if you're praying to God and you believe that he's, he can work miracles, why is he doing all this other stuff? Just say it. Other times he just said, I mean, he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't spit in mud and rub it on Lazarus to get him to be raised from there. Why all this other stuff? We don't know. But he puts the mud on us and he says, okay, how, what do you see? And the man responds and he says, I see people like trees. So the first prayer that Jesus prayed wasn't perfect. He wasn't immediately healed. All he can see is like the outline shapes of people, that it's extremely blurry, people would say. And that's so he's, he can see figures now, so his sight has come back a little bit where he couldn't see at all. Now he can see people, but he sees them like trees, just sort of a rough outline of them. And so Jesus prays again. Jesus prays again. Is that crazy to you? It's to me. He prays again, and then the man's sight is completely restored. But the first prayer, why didn't the first prayer, with all the spit and mud, why didn't that fully heal the man immediately? And fully. Sometimes when we pray, we don't get an answer immediately. And sometimes when we pray, we don't get the perfect answer that we're hoping for. We have to go back in prayer. We have to continue in prayer. And then lastly, and the least favorite of them all, not every prayer is answered. And that's the toughest one to wrestle with, right? Not every prayer is answered. Now, there are reasons 
why sometimes our prayers aren't answered in the sake of like, well, you're asking for your own uh, selfish desires and therefore it's just, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm a Sounders fan and you're a Timbers fan and I'm on one side of the field and you're on the other side and we're praying for our teams to win. Like who cares, <laughs> right? Really, nobody cares. And so those are the kind of things where I'm just praying for selfish. There's no really reason for me to pray that prayer I'm just pray- I've prayed that prayer multiple times, not for the Sounders or for the Timbers, but more so for the Seahawks um, when they play the Niners or the Cowboys or the Vikings. We have Vikings somewhere. Anyways, back there, Vikings. Um, anybody in the NFC? Um, <laughs> bring us back, Lord. Sometimes those prayers don't answer. We're not talking about those prayers. Like those prayers are like just they don't, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares if the prayer is answered or not? We're talking about real life issues, real needs. But sometimes those prayers don't get answered. And what we want to look at today is the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm not going to put the scripture up here because I've, I've actually taken Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which all have given sort of a, they're the synoptic gospels, which means they see it the same. So they've kind of t- told this story similarly, little different details in each one. And I just want to kind of summarize what happens. Jesus has, you can, if you want to look this up and you're taking notes, Matthew 26, 36 through 46, Mark 14, 32 through 42, Luke 22, 39 through 46. If you didn't get that, watch back on the video. But this is where you find this story. Jesus has left the the Passover meal where they've received communion together. The Last Supper, we know it as. And the scripture says that Jesus takes the disciples with him and he goes, as is his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And in particular to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he tells the disciples to watch and pray. And then it says that he takes uh, Peter, James, and John with him. And he goes a little bit deeper, a stone's throw away into the garden. And he tells them a similar thing, that he's in deep agony and deep anguish, and that he wants them to also watch and pray, and then he himself goes off by himself. And when he goes off by himself, he prays this prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The story goes on that there appears to him an angel that strengthens him. And being in agony, it says, that he prayed more earnestly. And in particular, I think it's Mark that that, that describes this part, that he prays more earnestly to to the degree of anguish that his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. He goes and checks on his disciples and they have all fallen asleep and he wakes them up. He's like, wake up. Could you not, like, could you not hang with me for just a little bit of time here? Like, do you not recognize how deeply anguished I am, how much agony I'm in about what is to come? And then he goes back and he prays again to the father a second time. And he says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then again, he came and found the disciples sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went back away to the garden and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. You have to take a moment before we go talk about how this applies to us to really paint this picture. This is Monday, Thursday, before Good Friday. Jesus knows that Good Friday is on the horizon. He knows that there is a cross in front of him. He knows that he came to lay down his life for the sins of the world. He knows this. Everybody with me? But this is the Thursday night before he's arrested or before he actually goes on trial on Friday, before he's beaten and whipped. This is, this is him recognizing. He's already told the disciples. He's already broken bread and, and shared the communion cup. He's already said, this is, the, this is my body broken for you. He's already prophesying. This is my blood shed, poured out for you. He's already made these declarations, but now he's in the garden and he's in great anguish and great agony about what is to come. 
And too often we remove Jesus from his physical earthly body and try to place him in this heavenly idea. No, he came and put on flesh and he experienced in the flesh everything that you and I experienced in the flesh, including this agony and this wrestling with what is about to take place. Gethsemane means the great oil press. So he's in this garden on the Mount of Olives. And the name of this garden is this great press where literally they would take the olives and they would, they would press the olives. And when they broke, when the flesh of the olives broke, then the oil would pour out. It would release the oil of the olives. And here is Jesus being pressed in agony in the great press at Gethsemane because he knows that his flesh is going to be broken so that the true everlasting anointing of his salvation would flow to mankind. This garden of Gethsemane is, I call it the second garden. Like in the first garden, Adam and Eve, they gave way to what their flesh longed for and say they disobeyed God to take of the fruit and eat. And here in the second and sort of final garden, the second and final Adam decides to consecrate himself to the Lord, decides to give himself over, his flesh over to God, your will be done. And instead of taking of the fruit in disobedience, he decides that he will become the fruit in obedience, that he'll be the one that is broken, he'll be the one that is crushed, he'll be the one that is allowing the life to flow out of. It's a place of consecration. God, he's praying, your will be done. I'm giving myself over to you. And I think that it, it, we need to be sure that we're aware that in difficult times like this, a lot of times what we might want to do is sort of remove ourselves from God. We want to sort of run away from God. We want to sort of hide. We want to, we wanna, this is the time to press into prayer. In times of deep agony and despair, this is when we need to press into prayer. And not only does he press into prayer, but listen, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. We need people. When we're in these difficult moments, we need people. People that will press into prayer with us. They don't do it perfectly. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they, they're known for not doing it perfectly. Remember, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, too. And, and there's Moses and Elijah there talking and, and Jesus talking. And Peter's like, well, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Let's build a tabernacle for Moses and, and, and Elijah and Jesus. Like, they don't do it perfectly, but they're there. Of course, the voice from heaven says, you know, Elijah, Moses disappears, and a voice from heaven says, this is Jesus, this is my son, listen to him. Essentially declaring prophetically that Jesus is fulfilling the prophets and the law, Elijah and Moses. And he's telling John and the disciples, this is the Messiah, follow Jesus. So they're not perfect. Here they're not perfect, they're falling asleep, but they're there. We need people. You know, we cannot expect the people to be God. We cannot expect the people to carry our weight. We can't uh, put unrealistic expectations on our friends and family members in those moments of prayer, but we still need them. They might be imperfect, but we still need them. Amen. Can you imagine, which we're going to try to put this in last week's sermon too. This is, we're not even to the points yet. Lord, help us. Help me, I guess. And then in this moment, the pressure is so great that Jesus experiences what is known as hematid hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. What that is, is a medical term, and, it, and it's happened to other people besides Jesus. And is that when someone is un under such great pressure, agony, stress, that the capillaries near the uh, surface, especially in particular in their head, they begin to burst because of the pressure and the stress. And in bursting these little capillaries, they begin to mix with the sweat, and the sweat becomes like drops of blood. This is what's happening to Jesus. That literally there's such a great pressing and agony and despair 
that this hematidrosis is taking place, that the capillaries are bursting and his blood is mixing with the sweat and is dripping to the ground in the garden. I don't know about you, I have never experienced that kind of agony. There are times I think I'm at the end of my rope. I've, I, I can bear no more. But I've never been to this level of stress, of intensity. And in this great level of stress and intensity, you can see that there is a level of disorientation for even Jesus. That there's a level of pain for even Jesus. And so what does he do? He prays this prayer. And I'm going to break down real quickly for you this prayer and how we can approach God in this difficult time and, and even deal with perhaps unanswered prayers. First he says, Abba, Father. And this is something we keep coming back to. The intimacy factor is so important to every part of prayer. Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. And so when we're in this moment of intense despair and difficulty and we need God to come through on our behalf, we must first and foremost always hold on to God's love. Always hold on to God's love. Jesus was anchored in the Father's love. This was a non-negotiable for him. So when he's in this great despair, this disorienting anguish, he cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We must remember that God's default position towards us is love and blessing. So many times people start with the story of humanity at the fall. Genesis chapter 3. But the problem is humanity didn't start at the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Humanity started a chapter earlier when God created man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life in him. He said, it is good. It is very good. And he blessed them. The starting point with God and his people, humanity, is blessing and love. It's too easy to lose sight of God's heart towards us when things become dark and difficult. It's too easy to think that God must not love us, that our circumstances must be the result of our relationship with God, that he's trying to teach us a lesson. And indeed, there are people who actually teach that kind of nonsense, that God would create a a cancer or that God would take a child from somebody because he's trying to teach you a lesson. That is not what scriptures teach about the good nature of God. about the character of our Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So we have to remind ourselves in these difficult moments, he's Abba Father, that he loves us and that he is for us. And my ability to trust God in the middle of difficult situations speaks to my revelation of God's love towards me. The more secure I am in his love, the greater ability I have to trust when I don't understand. I didn't say that if you're secure in his love, you won't struggle with trusting when you don't understand. I didn't say that. But they work together. The more that I am secure in the love of God and the greater revelation I have of his love towards me and what he thinks towards me, the easier it becomes or the more likely I will be able to trust him when I don't understand him. Trust him when I can't put all the pieces together. Does that make sense? Abba, Father. And then he moves on. He says, all things are possible for you. This can't be missed. This can't be missed. So we should hold on to God's love. And then we should also hold on to God's power. He says, all things are possible for you. Jesus was convinced of the Father's sovereignty. It was unquestionable in his mind that God is sovereign and that he is all-powerful. The big theological word that we use for that is omnipotence. 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 That he is all-powerful. He can do anything. He can disrupt the universe for the sake of his people. He can do what he can split the Red Sea. He can raise the dead. He can open blind eyes and deaf ears. He can cause the sun to stand still for 24 hours. How? Don't know. 
But the scripture says he can do it. Creator God of the universe, that he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, and we should hold on to his power. And Jesus was convinced of this fact of the Father. And too often, we live in a mentality of, well, don't get your hopes up. Anybody? Okay, but don't get your hopes up. And too often that becomes our starting point or our mentality in prayer. Well, I'm going to pray, but don't get your hopes up. That sort of mentality is an attempt to shield ourselves from disappointment. Right? We try to shield ourselves from being disappointed in the prayers that we've prayed to God. The problem is, when we minimize our expectations like that, we begin to limit our prayers, and indeed, we begin to declare that we serve of God who is also limited in his ability to answer our prayers. But Jesus, Jesus, let's not lose sight. The Son of God is praying this prayer. Pete Gregg in the book, How to Pray, says, By holding on to God when things are tough, you retain the possibility of rescue and receive comfort in your distress, a sense of purpose in your pain, and ultimately the hope of life after death. So we got to hold on to God's power. And, and in such a way that, God, I recognize that even if death wins here, death loses, period. Y'all follow me on this. That, that we serve a God that teaches us, that declares to us that this is temporary. And it hurts when this is taken away because this is what's tangible. But we must realize and remember that this is all temporary. And so when this world crashes in and does some of the worst things that we can imagine, we still hold on to the power that there is resurrection after this life, that this life is not the end of life. That's hard. Am I right? I don't know how we got there, but we were telling stories this morning. It just got really intense quickly because we're talking about this subject. And I've been to too many situations where life was unexpectedly taken from people. Left to console family members who are, uh, can't even catch their breath in the moment. Too many times I've been in those situations to not be able to say there's life after, there's hope later. And that is difficult in the moment. And in fact, usually in the moment, that's not what I say. Usually in the moment, what I say is, I'm so sorry. Usually in the moment, the only thing that I can pray for them is for peace that surpasses understanding. And that, that last part is important. I don't just pray for peace. Oh, God, just give them peace. No, God, I pray the peace that, that surpasses all understanding because we don't get it. We don't understand why we're here today. Why, right, would this happen? But we hold on to the power of the one who resurrects us, that there is life even after death. And then Jesus moves on. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible. And then he says, take this cup from me or remove this cup from me. These might be the five most shocking words from the mouth of Jesus. In the entire canon of scripture that we have, Jesus is literally praying for an alternative to the cross. Take this cup from me. And what this tells us is that we can be honest with God. 
When we go to our prayer closet, we're dealing with the difficulties of life and the struggles and all that kind of stuff. When we go to our prayer closet, we're not sure what's coming next. We can be honest with God. He asked God for an alternative to the cross, the agony, the pressure, the disorientation. He's, he's sweating great drops of blood and he says, Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. He's referring to the cup of wrath as the scriptures talk about. His willingness to drink of the cup of wrath, the judgment for humanity's sinfulness, the separation that we had between God and humanity. And he's saying, I want to bridge that gap. But in order to bridge that gap, somebody has to absorb. Somebody has to deal with the sinfulness of the world. That's the cup that he's talking about. If it's possible, let's find another way, maybe. A different strategy, perhaps. This prayer, of Jesus, this prayer of Jesus should set us free from thinking that we have to, quote, be brave before God. You don't have to be brave before God. He's calling you to be real before Him. With no facades, you can pray imperfectly and you can pray honestly before him. And listen to me, your fear, your frustration does not diminish God's godness. Y'all with me? And again, just go read the Psalms for a little bit and you will find the psalmist constantly approaching God in such a way that if we did it right now, if I got up here and prayed a modern day prayer that the psalmist would pray, some of you'd be like, oh, this is not the church for me. I don't know what's going on in there. But that dude is asking for his enemies to be slaughtered. You know what I'm saying? Like these are prayers that were going up from the psalmist. Like they were just wrestling with God. They weren't intended necessarily to happen. He's just like, this is how I feel, God. Here's Jesus giving us freedom to be honest in the presence of God. And here's the deal. Not only is God omnipotent, but God's omniscient. Which means he's all-knowing. Like, if it's going on in your heart, if you're saying it internally, he's already hearing it. He already knows what's going on. So just because you're saying nice things to God, oh God, you're so wonderful, and, and you know, your will be done. This is great. I'm going to learn something from this. I'm sure you're doing. And all the while inside, you're like, why in the world would you be doing this to me? How dare you let this happen? He hears that internal voice. He's already aware. So just be honest with him. Um, I was... A couple years ago, I, I came across this on Instagram and um, something that sort of shaped it, it, my view of, of suffering and the difficult things that people go or help shape some of it. And, and that was this, it was a hashtag a friend of mine put up called hashtag Pearl has hope. And if you have that picture up there, um, I, I ran into this guy later after I started following this hashtag Pearl has hope. This guy's name is Eric Brown. And Eric um, had a daughter um, named Pearl. And Pearl was born with HPE. You can see the end there, kind of tricky, Hope, HPE. She was born with HPE. Matter of fact, they found out that she had, I, I can't pronounce what the actual disease is, but it's a neural disease that has pretty much a 100% fatality rate. And usually pretty quickly, um, the child dies. And... Um, and uh, the doctors told them early on that they should just eliminate the pregnancy and just move on with life and forget as if they just never even were pregnant with her. But they decided to trust God, and so they had Pearl. Um, and, uh, and they started this hashtag, Pearl Has Hope. And uh, I met Eric. I started following his story, and I can tell you, I uh, wept more times than I can count by reading his accounts of their life with Pearl. You can put the next picture up. This is a picture of Pearl here. This is a beautiful little girl, um, Pearl. Pearl lived to be just over five years old, which was a miracle in and of itself. But every day that Eric and his wife and his two other children lived with Pearl, it was a constant battle. And what I loved about this Brown family and this hashtag Pearl Has Hope 
was they were so honest in writing about their wrestling with what is God doing in the midst of this and their prayers for God to heal Pearl or to, uh, to, to do certain things in their life. And sometimes God would miraculously come through like people pulled a ton of money together and helped them buy a, a bigger house so that Pearl would have her own bedroom and all of her stuff wasn't set up in the living room. Uh, or respite care that was needed, things that happened, like miracles took place in that. But then also many times where Pearl was just left on the verge of death and there was no answer. And then ultimately she passed away in 2018. And I, I would read through these stories. I followed them on Instagram and I would read through these stories and they would just rock them. I mean, just my heart would break for this family. But I, every single time I'm just captured by... Eric's ability in particular, he ran the Instagram account, Eric's uh, ability in particular to continually bring back the fact that God is still good and that there is still hope. And he was raw and honest about the things that they were dealing with, the things they were struggling with and what was going on in their life. But he was also honoring God and saying, God is going to get the glory and hope. Uh, Pearl is alive today. She's just not here on this earth today. I, get, I ran into Eric. I was actually down south at this rock and road worship show. And I was there because another guy invited me that I was friends with. He said, hey, come, I'm hosting, so come hang out with me. So I went to hang out. And I'm literally hanging out, talking to him. And all of a sudden, I see Eric I walk behind me. And I'm like, wait. And I look, and I go up to him immediately. I'm like, hey, I don't know your name, but is your daughter Pearl? And he just immediately started weeping. And we started, I said, I follow your story. I'm so moved by your family's ability to stay rooted in Christ through all of this turmoil. It's possible. Jesus teaches us that he can pray and be honest. Eric and Pearl and their whole family story of this dishonesty before God and this beauty of God working in the midst of their honesty. Remember, God knows what we need before we ask. God knows our innermost thoughts and our wants, and He wants to bring, uh, He wants us to bring those needs to Him. And so, when Jesus prays, "Take this cup from me," this is a prayer. We have to realize God did not answer. What? Jesus prayed this prayer, take this cup from me, and God did not answer that prayer. This feels like blasphemy. <laughs> Hindsight, we are grateful that God didn't answer this prayer. Jesus willingly drinking the cup and laying his life down was what provided salvation for us. And so we're thankful for that, but we have to not eliminate the fact that Jesus prayed the prayer and that prayer did not, there was not an alternative to the cross put forth. He drank the cup. So what do we do with these unanswered prayers? Um, Pete Gregg has another book I would encourage you to get called God on Mute. And it, the whole book is about unanswered prayers. I haven't read it. I've read reviews about it. And friends of mine who have read it have told me it's a fantastic book about unanswered prayers. So if you want to go deeper on that, please go do that. But quickly, what do we do with these unanswered prayers? The three reasons often are big ideas of why unanswered prayers or why we have unanswered prayers. One is God's world. And that's sort of this idea of like God has created the cosmos. He's put things into motion. And there's morning, noon, and night. There's all these things that are happening. And sometimes our prayers are trying to contradict what God's world is doing. Again, back to the, the dumb thing of like, well, my football team versus your football team. Like nobody cares. And God's not going to interrupt the cosmos and shift the angels in the outfield mentality just for the sake of some dumb game. Right? So sometimes my prayers don't get answered because it's God's world and it's working a certain way. And although God can oftentimes interrupt his cosmos, like the splitting of the Red Sea, Jesus walking on water, turning water into wine, those kind of things, rarely do we see that actually happening. You follow me? So sometimes it's because we're just trying to fight against like science. <laughs> science! Right? We're trying to fight against what's actually happening. And Although I'm not saying don't pray those prayers, sometimes they don't happen because there's a lot happening within the cosmos of the world that God has created 
and rarely does he interrupt the timing of the world for that sake. You're praying for 26 hours, you get 24. Like, you know what I'm saying? You get 24. You don't get an extra two hours in the day because you needed it. The other thing is, uh, sometimes it's because it's God's war. And what does that mean? Recognizing that there's spiritual battle that's taking place all around us. And there's warfare that's happening. And sometimes our prayers aren't answered. The scriptures talk about this. Daniel prayed, and it took uh, 21 days or 40 days. I can't remember the exact amount of days, but a number of days, much longer than he would have liked, for the angel to deliver the answer. He said, the moment that you prayed, Daniel, the answer was sent. But it was held up by principalities, demonic forces. There is another seen, uh, unseen world of, of, of spiritual warfare that's happening. The, the devil is trying to, Satan is trying to destroy people. And so sometimes this happens. And so our prayers are delayed or they're not answered because of the spiritual warfare that's taking place. And again, God on mute. These are just brief overviews. And then lastly, um, God's will. God's will. Like with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the will of God was not another way. It was the cross. It was the cross. And so sometimes we just have to yield to God's will and try to find out in the middle of it, God, what are you trying to do in the midst of this situation? brings me to the very last thing that Jesus prayed, which was not what I will, but what you will, which is a prayer of relinquishment. He's relinquishing his own will to the will of the Father. This is where we have to find ourselves in these moments oftentimes. We're wrestling in prayer. The answers don't seem to be coming. We don't know what's up. We're doing everything that we know we ought to do. Sometimes what we've got to find ourselves all the time, what we need to do is we need to get to the place where we could say, nevertheless, Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And so um, this is what a prayer of consecration really looks like. I'm essentially saying that my will is a servant to your will. This is what Jesus does. He relinquishes his own will to the will of the Father. Not what I will, but what you will. This is what he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the difficulty we all face in these moments is that deep down inside, we really want to control what's going on in our lives. Right? Right? So a prayer of relinquishment is really hard. It's hard for me. I imagine it's hard for you. Because we, <coughs> whether we want to admit it or not, we prefer, we prefer to be self-sovereigns. We prefer to rule our own lives. We prefer to rule our own wills. And it becomes really difficult to relinquish our wills, to, to surrender our wills unto his will. But this is what Jesus does and what he calls us to. It's a, it's a scary territory to relinquish, relinquish our wills. I put, I put it down in my notes. It's like a cosmic trust fall. <laughs> anybody ever done that before? Like, oh, team building trust fall. Have anybody ever watched like the trust fall fails? Like my favorite is when the people line up behind them and the person falls forward for whatever reason. But it's like a cosmic trust fall. It's like, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but I got re- to surrender myself to your will and just allow myself to rest in what you're going to do. You know, it it's, can be trite at times and feel like really, you know, thin. But what we're talking about is to let go and let God. It's a bumper sticker, I know but you get what I'm saying. Like we're really talking about to relinquish my wills. I got to let go and let God do what God does. Jordan Alyssa, come on up. Uh, Pete Gregg, again, in his book, How to Pray, said there is an invitation here, listen to this, to a darker kind of trust. To surrender ourselves to the will of God, not just when it makes sense and feels good, but also when it makes no sense at all and even hurts us deeply. That's difficult. And 
you know, maybe I didn't say this as well as I would have liked to at the beginning. We're not going to solve all the problems today. We're not going to answer all the questions that we have about unanswered prayers today. We, me in particular, is going to do a fairly poor job probably of handling all of these things well because we just don't get it. We only have part of the story. We only get to see a little bit of what's happening. So it's really difficult to answer all of the whys of unanswered prayers. I remember when I was in India, I've shared this story before. When I was in India, one of the times they took us to uh, these people who were making these beautiful carpets. These tradespeople were making these carpets. And they had these like sickle-like uh, tools, hand tools that were like sickles in their hands, very sharp. And they would sit on one side of the loom. And when we walked in, that's the side we walked into, the side that they were sitting on the loom. And they were um, calling out the colors. So they were sort of just, like singing the pattern that had been passed down from generation to generation. And, and that was as they call it the colors, they were their hands were moving, they're they're weaving this these carpets. And where we walked in and saw where they're working and we're looking at it, we're like, it kind of looked like my shirt, it's sort of ugly. It's like, I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. Right? Like None of these things seem to, it's just a bunch of hanging threads and, and it's just the colors don't make sense. And are you guys actually good at this? Do you know what you're doing? And that's how we feel oftentimes with what God is doing on this side of eternity. Like this seems like a lot of hanging threads and it's ugly and it doesn't make sense. And the colors, what kind of pattern is this? But when we walked around to the other side, all of a sudden we could see the beautiful pattern that had been passed down from generation to generation, that indeed they did know what they were doing, that indeed they were masters at their craft. And this beautiful carpet or tapestry was coming together perfectly. We just couldn't see it on the other side. We just didn't know what was happening. And God calls us into this sort of place. It's, it's not the best example, but it is, get the picture a little bit here, that God is calling us to trust him, that he is the master and that he is taking care of you and me. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but he's working. And then lastly, just I want to share this prayer of relinquishment that is in the book, Francois Fenelon. I don't know if I said that right at all. Um, but he, he wrote this prayer, and it goes like this, Lord, I do not know what I ought to be asking of you. You are the only one who knows what I need. All I can do is present myself to you. Lord, I open my heart to you. I no longer have any desire other than to accomplish your will. Teach me to pray. And really, that's kind of where we end up at the end of all of this. Because there's no perfect formula for unanswered prayers. Why one person's prayer is unanswered over here is completely different. Why this prayer over here was unanswered. Why this prayer over here. There's no perfect way to pray to assure that all of our prayers will be answered. So what then do we do? We relinquish ourselves to the Lord. Say, I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. I need you and I submit to you. Teach me to pray. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.